This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. I know last week we promised you Dick Smothers on uh, on today's show, but decided that I think we'll put that off a week. I did have a chance to see the Smothers Brothers at uh, the Cash Creek Casino uh, this last weekend, and I'll tell you about that in a little bit. Uh, I think a good time was had by all. We're going to save that to interview for next week's program and instead probably talk a little bit at length about uh, a radio legend who passed away this past week, Paul Harvey. Not necessarily a guy you would always agree with politically, but uh, a true giant of, of broadcasting and particularly of radio. So we'll spend a little time uh, on him, I think, in segment two. On today's program, we'll begin as we like to do with On This Date in History. Our date today is March the 5th, and it was on March 5th in 1496 that English King Henry VII authorized the Italian sailor John Cabot, whose real name was Giovanni Cabotto, to explore the New World on behalf of England. Cabot sailed west and discovered Newfoundland in 1497. His discovery failed to excite the folks back home. It did, however, lead to English claims on the New World, which subsequently led to both Canada and the United States uh, falling under the English sphere. On this date in 1616, a Roman Catholic decree declared the Copernican theory false and erroneous and prohibited anyone from teaching or even believing that the Earth orbits the Sun. This sort of thing got Galileo into quite a bit of trouble, and when uh, Giordano Bruno taught that, uh, that it was the other way around, that the Earth went around the Sun, and even worse, there were probably worlds orbiting other suns, the Church Fathers, in their wisdom, burned him at the stake. Not to say there hasn't been a lot of progress in the Catholic Church, the Pope did apologize for the persecution of Galileo in 1992. We're still working on the issue that all birth control is a mortal sin. On this date in 1830, limelight was demonstrated in a scientific trial at the Tower of London. The innovation which used jets of oxygen to heat lime to incandescence was used in lighthouses and theaters, which gives us that expression we still use today, in the limelight. On this date in 1868, C.H. Gould of Birmingham, England patented the stapler. Four years later, American inventor George Westinghouse patented the railroad air brake. On this date in 1933, on his first full day in office, back then the president assumed the office on March 4th, U.S. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt declared a four-day bank holiday which closed all of the nation's banks thus halting a frantic run on the banks and giving FDR time to push the Emergency Banking Act through Congress. And aren't you glad that thanks to the wisdom of the U.S. government and Wall Street, those days are so far behind us. On this date in 1946, former British Prime Minister Winston Churchill made his famous Iron Curtain speech, which condemned the Soviet Union's policies in Europe and is considered one of the opening volleys of the Cold War. And finally, on this date in 1953, Soviet leader Joseph Stalin died of a massive heart attack in Moscow. Stalin was actually not Russian. He was Georgian, born Yosef Jugashvili in 1889. 
He's mainly remembered today as being one of two things, a mass murderer, perhaps the mass murderer of the century, having overseen the deaths of between 8 and 10 million of his own people. And to some, he's the man who helped save his nation from Nazi domination in World War II. We think that latter claim is quite disputable and refer you to our own archives at radioparallax.com for our interview with Dr. Konstantin Pleshikov about his book, Stalin's Folly, which aired a few years ago. If you didn't hear it uh, on the first run-through, we think it's well worth your time to do so. Our quote of the day comes from Bertrand Russell, who said, Our great democracies still tend to think that a stupid man is more likely to be honest than a clever man. Our quip of the day comes from someone named E.V. Lucas, who once said, I've noticed that people who are late are often so much jollier than the people who have to wait for them. Our statistic of the day is the fact that our season-to-date rainfall in the greater Sacramento region is now at about 13 inches, which is about something like 32, 33 centimeters for those of you listening in metric regions. Our normal to date is about 15 inches, and our normal full season is just about 20 inches where we live. And this is going to have some play in the, some discussion we're going to have a little bit later in the show. Our joke, or in this case, jokes of the day, come from the following series of imponderables. And no, we don't know the answers to any of them, but it's fair to ask. For example, if people from Poland are called Poles, why is it? that people from Holland are not called holes? Here's a fair question, especially today. Why is it the man who invests all your money is called a broker? And how come overlook and oversee mean opposite things? Good question. Here's one very fair question. Isn't having a smoking section in a restaurant kind of like having a peeing section in a pool? And the favorite of Mr. McMillan and I, both of us, could it be that if I am is the shortest sentence in the English language, that the longest would be, I do. Let me do the good, the bad, and the ugly. It was a good week last week for Good Samaritans when the authorities in Colorado announced that they would not press charges against a Mr. Jim Moffat for jaywalking. Mr. Moffat had been ticketed for jaywalking after he got run over trying to help two elderly women cross the street. Yes, reportedly these two women were shuffling across a busy intersection when Moffat rushed out to aid them. He was hit by a truck. Trooper Ryan Sullivan was originally quoted as saying, We understand Mr. Moffat was doing something with great intentions, but it was still dangerous for anyone to be in the road. Apparently, cooler heads have prevailed, perhaps thanks to a bit of publicity, and the charges are now going to be dropped. Moffat is still recovering in the hospital. It was conversely a bad week for Adolf Hitler's reputation. Yes, 
just when you think it couldn't get any worse, a newly released British intelligence document revealed that the dictator's dining companions were disgusted by his table manners. Yes, reportedly Hitler ate too fast, gorged on cakes, bit his nails during the meal, and ignored conversations going on around him. Reportedly, in response to these charges, the uh, Holocaust-denying Catholic bishop Richard Williamson said that a a lot of these charges are awfully subjective. No one ever accused Hitler of gluttony. And, you know, he was a vegetarian back before that was all the rage. So anyway, a Hitler, a pig at the dinner table, you make the call. And it was kind of an ugly week last week for the Securities and Exchange Commission, which is still stinging from criticism of its handling of the Bernard Madoff scandal. The SEC found itself on the defensive again over its lax oversight of Stanford Financial Group and had to admit that apparently that Stanford fraudulently sold $8 billion in certificates of deposit to some 30,000 investors. Not to say that the SEC didn't, hadn't investigated uh, Stanford over the years. It had. And while it missed the telltale signs of corruption, it did fine the firm rather lightly for some minor violations. So they weren't, they weren't completely asleep at the switch, but you know, pretty close. We're going to have to follow the story a little bit. Apparently, a lot of these certificates of deposit were in banks based in Antigua and Barbuda. Now, I don't pretend to be any kind of financial experts, but if you're going to put your money overseas, I, I think you'd think Switzerland, Luxembourg, and maybe not Antigua and Barbuda. Anyway, the world financial situation appears to remain in a bit of a mess. Just maybe want to quote a few people on this. New York Times said, The stimulus would have been larger and more effective if not for Obama's futile pursuit of bipartisanship. In an attempt to win over Republicans who wanted to see him fail... Obama sacrificed spending on new school construction, billions in aid to struggling state governments, and other worthy priorities. With the economy on pace to lose 5 million jobs, he'll almost certainly need to come back to Congress and ask for more money in a year or two. Let's hope he's a little tougher when he does. Of course, there's quite a different view from their crosstown rival, the Wall Street Journal, which quoted that well-known financial expert Karl Rove, Obama for all his talents, has already re-energized the GOP and sparked a spending debate that will last for years. Yes, folks, (laughs) spending hundreds of billions of dollars was just fine a few months ago, but now it's going to wreck the country. Which caused Frank Rich in the New York Times to sign in with, The Republicans remain as delusional as they were during last year's campaign. They're high-fiving in celebration of their imaginary victory over Obama, even though the president got a stimulus of the size he wanted and on the schedule he set. I, I got an email in the past week uh, on this vague subject, from, on, on this basic subject, from someone that said I shouldn't go blaming everything on Bush for the current situation. Well, no, I guess not. Obama's been in office, what now, six weeks? But this GOP correspondent said the following, the root of all this, in my opinion, and I'll well, just, just, you know, Just take a guess. Who's to blame for all this? Bill Clinton, of course. According to my correspondent, it was the Community Reinvestment Act of the 90s which started the madness of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And the truth is, he does have a point. Uh, When it comes to wrecking the country, (laughs) it's been a bipartisan effort. But then he went on to explain why Obama was going to wreck the country himself, because what he's doing is not going to generate revenues. It's 
It might, it might keep the unemployable and the victim class in the Democratic camp, but it's bad for an economy that depends on growth to be viable and blah and blah and blah. I have to report my response to that, I think, which was that, you know, there just isn't a big market these days for Republican opinions, especially stuff that soft pedals the Bush-Cheney catastrophe that's ensued for the past eight years. And, oh, oh, by the way, you know the Iraq War did cost more in real dollars than World War II? And yeah, I think, I think that, that might be the statistic of the last decade. Of course, a lot of folks like Peter G. Peterson, uh, previously a guest on this program, when he talked about his book Running on Empty a few years ago, to his credit, Peterson did say at that time that the odds of a recession were three out of four. Of course, he blamed it all then and is still blaming it all on the entitlement program, Social Security, Medicaid, and Medicare, etc. Well, there are issues with these programs, to be sure. But uh, unless you've been asleep for the past four years, you may have noticed that there's, there's a little more to it than that. And the conservatives are really having at Obama on the, the international scene as well. Let me quote from Charles Krauthammer from the so-called, <laughs> the allegedly liberal Washington Post. Said Krauthammer, the Biden prophecy has come to pass. Before the election, our current vice president predicted it wouldn't be six months before our enemies tested President Obama's foreign policy medal. Sure enough, a little more than a month after the inauguration, the parliament of Kyrgyzstan has voted to close the U.S. airbase there, an absolutely critical NATO conduit into Afghanistan. Russia, it seems, pressured and bribed them with promises of more than $2 billion in aid to kick America out, said Ariel Cohn in the <laughs> insanely right-wing Washington Times. The move should be a wake-up call to Washington. Said Joe, said Joe Klein in Time.com, somewhat more accurately, what a hackneyed pile of Cold War nonsense. Neoconservatives see the world in terms of enemies, not opportunities, and they've all decided we must now fear the Russian bear. Said Klein, Obama's pragmatic strategy of making nice with Russia may not work, but it's certainly worth a major effort. Countering that in Rupert Murdoch's New York Post, Benny Abney said, well, it hasn't paid off so far. Russian officials have spent the last few months saying how excited they were about the coming thaw in U.S.-Russian relations, while behind the scenes they're milking the new soft-hearted administration for concession after concession. The U.S. has already signaled that in return for help with Iran, it's willing to back down on plans to build a missile shield inside Russia's old sphere of influence in Poland and the Czech Republic. Thanks, said Russia, offering nothing in return. Well, the fact of the matter, ladies and gentlemen, as, as this correspondent sees it, is that putting missile defense missiles in what used to be the Soviet sphere of influence in Eastern Europe really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Conservatives claim they're not trying to provoke the Russians, and that in fact, the only reason they're putting the missiles in the likes of Poland and the Czech Republic is to protect the U.S. in case Iran decides to launch missiles. And no, I'm, I'm not making that up. And to those of you who don't necessarily get your news from the Wall Street Journal editorial pages, Fox News, or, or Rush Limbaugh, take a look at a map. You don't need a detailed world map. A small globe will do. Take a look at the location of Poland, Czechoslovakia, Iran, and the United States. 
then check out where Europe is located, the rest of Europe, where Russia is located, where other Middle Eastern countries are located, if, if you don't already know these things. And then uh, send us an email if you think there's any credibility to the fact that putting missiles in Eastern Europe is a move against Iran. No, folks, it's a provocation against Russia that really serves no good purpose. Let's take a short break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. Soviet, Mr. 